History, my friends, is not a simple line marching forward. It's a complex, tangled web that weaves through time, connecting events in ways we can scarcely fathom. You see, every historical event shapes our present reality, and there's many examples of this already. For instance, many of us don't think about World War II's economic impact on Europe, which paved the road to the decolonization movement in the Asian and African colonies, but it also reverberated across the Atlantic, shaping the civil rights movement in America. The struggles for independence and racial equality mirrored each other and fostered a powerful spirit of solidarity. We can go back a little further. The Protestant Reformation, sparked by Martin Luther challenging the Catholic Church, fueled religious divisions in the European wars of religion we all know about. Yet amidst this chaos, the printing press emerged as the transformative invention by Johannes Gutenberg, crucial in supporting the Reformation. Without it, the spread of reformist ideas would have been hindered altering history's course. Our past is littered with more examples like this. Take, for instance, the Treaty of Versailles and its profound impact on the German population. We all know about that, yet we tend to overlook how consequential the Great Depression was, with its devastating economic ramifications laying the groundwork for extremist movements to seize the stage. Fascism and nationalist fervor surged worldwide, but especially captivating the hearts and minds of crushed and disillusioned Germans. Imagine a world without this pivotal event. The Nazis may not have emerged as a viable option. The convergence of circumstances steered the course of history, shaping destinies and unfurling an extraordinary chapter in the human saga. But it's through experience that we gain wisdom. It's how we come to possess the necessary interpretation of the world around us. And we must understand that history is not confined to its designated time and place. Its tendrils stretch far and wide shaping our present reality, and casting shadows far into the future. To help me sort this all out, Danny Smith from the Story of Podcast returns. And if you haven't listened to his podcast, well, I don't really know what you're waiting for, because it's a show where he and his buddies delve deep into topics and historical events. For instance, I was just recently on an episode discussing game-changing inventions, which at times was just as hysterical as it was informative. But anyway... Danny and I have a conversation that covers a wide range of topics, some on current political and socioeconomic issues, but I think what we're really trying to do here is unravel the past's presence in the present and explore the profound ways historical events have shaped our world today and how ideology and governance often become enmeshed. Anyway, Danny and I have a great conversation in an episode I'm calling The Past is Present. Politics, ideologies, and the historical events that shape. Watch out. You might get what you're after. Cool. Strange, but not a stranger. I'm an ordinary guy. Burning down the Hello and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. This is a place for curious minds who enjoy civil and sometimes meandering conversation. If you appreciate a few laughs and want to come away with new knowledge about subjects that aren't always easy to break down, then you're the person I want listening to this podcast. Today, I get to welcome back Danny Smith from The Story of Podcast. Each week, Danny and his co-hosts and friends embark on a wild journey through some of the most bizarre and intriguing topics out there. From unsolved mysteries to urban legends, from strange historical events, and they even talk about some of the oldest and strangest professions. They're by no means experts in any field, just a couple of guys who love to find weird stories, research the hell out of them, and share them with you. So check out the Story of Podcasts wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Danny, welcome back. What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me back. Oh, I, man. I mean, we've been trying for months, but we you know, we finally got on. We this did it. We did yeah. it. Yeah, you know what? That's uh, actually one of my favorite I've done was with you. And what I liked about that one, too, is we just, what we're going to do today is we kind of just, you know, hmm. 
bullshitted our way through it. Just kind of shot the shit a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know? that was it. So yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to do that, but I gotta tell you, I've been listening to your podcast. I mean, I've always been listening to it since we started talking, but I feel like you guys are like hitting your stride. Thank you. So, so you're the one. I'm the one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I feel like we're hitting our stride a little bit. The last episode, the one that you kind of touched upon, the, uh, the the odd jobs throughout history, I think that that's my personal favorite. I thought that one was good. Um, my wife doesn't normally listen to the podcast, but I think in the first like 10 minutes, she was crying, laughing. Oh, so. my God. That was yeah, so that one, funny, dude. That one got me. Yeah, I didn't know if, uh, like, I was like, oh, that's a weird one. But I was like, I wonder how far they could take this. But it was like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Dude, when 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 uh, one of my co-hosts, Mike, he brought up the um, the Raven. Uh, no, that was the Raven was good. Raven was really good, but the the one at the end where he brought up the sex shop cleaner upper. Oh my god! Was, yeah, <laughs> he went on to like he went on to like job listings and <laughs> figured out the benefits and how much that's they made right. That's I right. lost it on that. It one, was man. pretty decent pay too, if I remember. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, I mean, it was like to. 16, 17 bucks an hour, but I mean, look, you know, it, you benefits, you know, <laughs> you get that discount, you know, like, yeah, like medical and like <laughs> dental insurance. Like, you know, I mean, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's all good, I guess, right? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> listen, I guess it, yeah, there's work for everybody out there, I guess. If they, yeah, whatever they floats your boat. No, right. no judgment, no job shaming right. whatsoever. You know? That's right. You know, um, I was supposed to maybe go on our uh, one of your shows. Yep. We got um, you. You're coming on, don't worry. I know, but, uh, you know, I missed the... Uh, was it the 33 coup d'etat? Yes. Yeah, yes. that one. Which yeah, was, the attempted coup. Yeah, that one was awesome and a very little-known event in our history, which is funny, yeah. you know? It, it's astounding how many people don't realize that. And I'm not going to lie. I Look, I didn't know up until about a year ago i didn't realize I that the same you know way. yeah uh, there was a movie that just came out about it with uh christian bale oh i can't remember the name of it um it just came out not that long ago and that's really where i learned about it and it, it kind of it goes through the whole thing and i was like wait a second like this is a true story like holy shit that's crazy um but yeah i mean it was you know wall street attempted a coup on the united states and uh and luckily oh, why can't i think of his name um yeah, the business plots. That was Butler? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Smitty Butler or something? Smedley Butler. Smedley Butler, yes. Yeah. Smed General Smedley Butler from World War One came in, and uh, he was essentially the the face of the bonus army who were trying to get their money after World War One that they were promised by the government. And so they thought this guy was the perfect guy to lead it because he can get all the vets behind him. But what they got so, so, so wrong was that number one, he hated Wall Street, and number two, he hated fascists. And it was, yeah. like, bankrolled by Wall Street fascists. And it's like, man, you know, they, they missed the mark on that one. It's well, definitely think, the wrong guy. I think why that wasn't such a big event was, obviously, they, they did do an investigation into it, and I think it was, like, 20 years later. Mm. I don't think they realized how big that could have been. Like, there's, yeah. there's a lot of back and forth on that, you know, with this yeah. work. You know, there was I mean, they, five thousand men ready to march. They um, were ready to roll, and they were. What they found out later was they were backed by some big time benefactors. Yes, you know, absolutely. Wasn't uh, Bush's grandfather one of them or something? Yes, like that? Uh, Bush's grandfather was there. Dupont. Um, yes, the Dupont. Um, uh, uh, major gun corporations were there. There was just there were some heavy hitters, man, uh, for sure that were that were bankrolling and and. Look, I honestly, I feel like they could have pulled the trigger if they wanted to. And, um, you know, Remington, Remington Corporation, yes, that was, uh, that was Remington was part of it as well. They were going to supply the arms. I mean, it was crazy. Like they had everything that they needed to do this. And, uh, you know, Smedley Butler came out. I mean, he, he joined in on it to go essentially go undercover yeah. and figure out who these guys were. And then he blew the cover open. And he went to the Senate and he gave this blasting speech. Yep. They did a, an investigation and they kind of like pushed it under the rug and they were just like, meh, you know, who knows if it was real. It could have just been cocktail talk. I mean, look, we've all, uh, look, I know when I was a teenager, I was like, yeah, let's overthrow the government. But th this was a bit more. You know? uh, yeah. Well, I, 
there's a romanticism to that, I guess, when we're younger, sure. right? You know, it's sure. like Rage Against the Machine and stuff like that. It was, Those are my guys. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. I had the I had the Che Guevara poster up my bedroom wall. You know what I mean? And but I mean, there's one thing when you are a young sort of revolutionary type of mind, and there's another one when you want to install a fascist dictator yeah. to take over yeah. a government. That's a much different story. It's yeah, not really cocktail talk. You yeah, know? my flirtations were like third parties and stuff like that. Like I, it, yeah, it, it was really like it, my friend noise laughs because i was like yeah i got into like libertarianism a little bit and mm-hmm. and then you know here and there and but it's like really like my soapbox to yell at people yes <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, like it, we've all been on that soapbox right. you know and uh yeah but this was uh, you know clearly something a little bit deeper and uh a lot more dangerous you know as far as i'm concerned you know this was a uh a crazy crazy yeah. plot and had smedley butler been like yeah let's you do wonder. it yeah I mean, I don't know if they would have, you know, succeeded, but man, it, it would have been bad for sure. I mean, it, it definitely would have changed the course of American history. That's for sure. So you said something stuck with me that you were talking about in that episode. And you guys did talk about fascism a lot. And mm. Your friend, I really wish I wrote it down, but he had a good definition or, or the co-host had a good definition of fascism. I forget exactly how he put it because fascism is a very strange thing to explain. Yes. But I, uh, one thing, you know, you said, and it stuck with me, was that there was a time in the 30s where experimenting with communism and fascism wasn't really a big deal. Like, no. everybody was so pissed off about what happened with the bankers and Wall Street and mm-hmm. the Depression that we started looking at other alternatives yeah. to capitalism. And yeah. um I thought that was a really interesting point. And, you know, you know, we've got the luxury of, you know, of hindsight to know, okay, fascism's not good. Right? Right. I mean, like we have that luxury, but in the thirties, they didn't, you know, and, and, you know, as I say, there was, a, for a lot of people, fascism was a solution to the problem that they had, which was a worldwide economic depression. Right. And, um, with a whole bunch of other things sprinkled into it, but that's, that is where it's like a petri dish almost, right? And that is where fascism grows its best is in economic instability. Right. That is really where it comes, you know, it, it becomes its strongest and its most tantalizing, I guess, you know, where, where people are like, look, we're living in squalor and this sucks. And somebody can come over and say, let's make, you know, enter a uh, country name here great again, you know, and it works and oh. it's what people want to hear. You know? Yeah. Well, that's what's so tantalizing about World War II, because it's not that long ago in scope of history, and the Nazis had such an evil agenda Mm. that you look back now and you're like, how did that ever take place? But when you look at, you know, what happened to those people, and really through the extension of World War One and the Treaty of Versailles, that we left people, we, I mean the whole world, left people destitute. And I remember reading a story that Germans would steal a basket full of money and throw the money out because the basket was worth more. Like yeah. it was a valuable yeah. commodity. Absolutely. And, and burn the money, you know, stay warm because they were yeah. poor and living on the streets. I mean, at one point in the 1920s, the mark, it was for every American dollar, it was worth 165 marks, which yeah. is just astounding, yeah. you know? And, you know, it, it, the Treaty of Versailles is just such, like, people don't realize that, man, how integral, you know, that was to causing World War II. Right. I mean, they just beat the hell out of Germany afterwards. And even, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much, you know, historians today all pretty much agree. And even at that time, it was, it was harsh. It was, it was harsh. But it, it definitely made the situation rife. I mean, it just, you know, they were looking for somebody to roll up and, and just save us. And, you know, unfortunately, that was the man that they backed, you know, and it's crazy because you, when you look at everything that took place and people like, like you, you just said, well, how the hell did they do that? It's, it took place incrementally. Right. And before people realize, it's like you boil a frog, right? You know, you put it in the pot and you turn the water on and you turn, you know, turn the heat on and, the slow, the water slowly gets warmer and warmer and warmer and starts to boil and the frog doesn't leave until it's dead. You know what I mean? Not until yeah, it's yeah. dead, but it doesn't leave because it, it doesn't realize it's getting boiled to death right. until it's too late. Done. And that's essentially what happened in, in Nazi Germany during the twenties and thirties. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, it's very different to read history than to live it. It's slow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a few paragraphs in a, yeah. in a high school textbook and it makes it make, like, oh, like why? Why would that happen? But mm-hmm. 
you know, you have people who were destitute and worldwide this was happening. That's why, you know, you had communism taking hold in a lot of places too. Um, oh, yeah. At one yeah. point, I mean, well, you know, Mussolini's laughable now when you watch him, but he was like this big strutting guy at the time. He was, was the creator of fascism, yeah. essentially, and Hitler took all of his cues from him, mm-hmm. you know, and then took it way beyond that. Yeah. Uh, yes, he's definitely like a clown, for sure, when we look back at him now, but, you know, was, uh, he made the trains run on time and all that good stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he introduced it to the world, and Hitler said, all right, I can work with that, and I can improve upon that in his way of improving, you know? Yeah. And I just kind of got into um, I got into a discussion on Twitter today, and I, I kind of stopped doing that. I, I used to get into a lot of Twitter fights, like really, I mean, a lot of Twitter fights. And but I had somebody, I, I don't even remember what it was, but they were like, "Yeah, the economy, everything was great in Germany. It was really good before Hitler got there, and and he didn't, you know, improve Germany at all." And I was like, "Oh, that's yeah, not really kind of how it went, man. I mean, it was." <laughs> Just that complete economic destruction that they had, you know, from the Treaty of Versailles after World War One itself, that surely was a thing. <laughs> but yeah. it played a role. Like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I never understand how someone could make a comment online if they don't really know how <sighs> fact check. Because that's like out there in the world, yeah. right? Like how stupid of a comment that can be. Yeah. And it was almost like he was like upset that people were in a sense like defending Hitler by saying he did things for Germany. And it's like, that's not a defense. Look, I mean, by 1938, Germany had the, the third largest economy in the world. That was the seduction, I, right? I mean, yeah. it could look the you, other way. Yeah. And 1936, they brought the Olympics to, to, to Berlin. You know what I mean? The whole world was there and everybody was like shocked. Like, wow, we're in the middle of the depression. Look what this country is doing, yeah. you know? And of course, everything was very, 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 you know, orchestrated yeah. and, uh, you know, put to a certain, you know, everybody saw exactly what, what Hitler wanted them to see. Right. Um, but to say that, I, again, I, I don't want to use the words like he improved Germany, you know, but he sure as hell brought the economy up and he did it through crazy, you know, militarism, you know, and, and, a, and a massive economy uh, backed by mil- militarism, you right. know. So it's, you know, but it's, it is interesting though. Fascism is such a, a notoriously hard ideology to define, but it has its certain characteristics that pop up and are red flags. And unfortunately, I, I, I see quite a few of them today, which is a little scary. That's where I was kind of going with that because, um, you know, it's funny. I started looking into that night, that coup, the, the Wall Street coup or mm. business plot, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, after listening to your, to your episode and it was there was somebody who recently wrote a book on it i should have took down his name but i'll find it i'll throw in the show notes figure it out but (laughs) and i was watching him in an interview and he was just talking about there was a time where we were like experimenting with this like they were looking at Mm -hmm. italy they were looking at you know uh to germany and and a couple of other countries i think spain yes wasn't spain yeah they were yes they were fascist okay Mm -hmm. yeah they actually stayed out of world war ii i believe yep Kept they were fascists fascist for a quite long some time. time. Yeah. 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 But he was sh- just saying that there is a lot of the same elements baked into it right now where people are very unhappy, mm. um, feel like they are falling behind. Yeah. And they're starting to look at different types of ideologies. There's a lot of anger. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of anger, a lot of fear. A lot of instability, you know, a lot of xenophobia. Right. A, a lot of that is, is, is running rampant. And it's one thing when it is within the population, right? It's, that's, that's one thing. But when it begins to seep into government positions is where it gets scary. You know, that's where it kind of gets to like a reality check of woof. You know, this is kind of getting to a point where it's a bit, that's a bit concerning. Well, this is another thing where you read your history and it's different than living through it, right? Because yeah, they kind of use democracy to install fascism or, you know, whatever. And they do it in mm-hmm. socialist places too. You know, they, sure. they use some kind of democracy. It, it starts off with democracy and then turns sure. into a power grab. Yeah. I mean, look, they, they had elections in, in, you know, in, in, uh, in 1930s Germany I and mean, Hitler was appointed. Um, you know, but 
it's still they they still had elections until he eventually took over and then eliminated all political parties but yeah sure it absolutely always you know springs from some sort of democracy right sure you know i'm watching a lot of the things that unfold today and the last the last episode i did i tried to keep it very factual but it was just it was about donald trump and Mm. you know being the first president indicted Oh, there's I, a lot of firsts. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he set a lot of uh, new norms. Let's put it that way. He did. We'll a lot of precedents for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think the case that sticks out more is the Georgia election mm. case because, you know, you have him on record talking about, you know, you just find me the votes. Find me yeah, the find votes. me. Was it 11,785? 11, 11, yeah, it's, it's a very, very, very specific right. number. Right. You know? Um, yeah. But further than that, I mean, he they had these lawyers, you know, looking into the Constitution, looking for precedents to send ultimately fake electors yeah. to the White House and then have Mike Pence say, these guys don't count. Uh, yep. because they, they're not agreeing. Cause I think there was, there was something like when Nixon ran against JFK in 1960, I want to say. 60. Yeah, 60. Right. Um, Hawaii was like a new state at that point and mm-hmm. there was some confusion. It didn't hurt, end up hurting JFK in the election, but there was kind of like a, an internal argument over yeah. whose electors go and who's, who doesn't. So there was an idea put in place there. To send in these fake electors, and then it would kick back to the states, which gets weirder because then it goes by like the assemblies and the state houses, yeah, and, and they're mostly Republican controlled. But and yeah, and very specific states that they wanted to send right. them back to, yeah. you know, with 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 majority Republican and conservative Supreme Court justices in those states as well. I mean, it was a well concocted plan, you know, but highly illegal and unconstitutional. You know, it was yeah. Eastman was the guy, it was his plan. Yes, Eastman's plan. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah, I just, I didn't realize, to me, you know, living in it, I just thought Trump was like going nuts. And I think he still was. Oh, yeah. But I didn't realize how orchestrated some of that was. And then it's one thing for one guy, right, to kind of go nuts on his own. But mm-hmm. when you saw the extent of people who were willing to go along with it and these individuals in high powerful places that were willing to go to move forward on this, you know, you know, that's where it gets absolutely terrifying. You know, personally, look, you know, it kind of bothered me to be honest with you that, you know, Pence was hailed as a hero, but I mean, uh, you know, thank God <laughs> he didn't yeah. try. I mean, I don't think it would have made it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the outcome would have been. It definitely, I mean, going to the Supreme Court, it's, it's pretty stacked up there as well. And especially everything going on with Clarence Thomas at the moment. I know. I thought it was bad enough with his wife basically being an election denier and looking for ways to overthrow this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny Thomas is like actively trying to overthrow the government. And, and that wasn't a big deal, you know, but it, it, but you know, the crazy part about it is there's, there's nothing really illegal. Yeah. That he did because the Supreme Court purposely does not have a code of ethics. So he didn't break a code of ethics because they've been, they've convinced Congress for how many years that they'll just police themselves and everything will be fine. So technically the laws really have been broken, but you know, I'm sure they're going to try something with articles impeachment, but it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, I've actually, I've heard that before, you know, a you're not going to get that out of the house. I don't think so either. I mean, there's just, it's a dead issue, but. It's weird. It's something we've kind of known for a while where they, you see them hanging out with at Federalist Society parties or giving addresses for the Heritage Foundation events. It's just, it's just kind of flaunted. And you should have at least the illusion that (laughs) at least give us the illusion, right? Yeah. You know, you're getting paid to do talks at certain places and give speeches and, you know, Alito doesn't seem to care anymore and he just kind of does his own thing. And, yeah. and Clarence Thomas, you know, has tried to kind of make himself this, you know, the quiet judge. And, and that's apparently the furthest from the truth, you know, when the, the curtain gets pulled back a little bit, but it's just, it's astounding. It really is. The state of American politics right now is just, just a mess, man. Yeah. You know, and just so many different fronts and so many different layers and in so many different directions. It's just like, it's just a hurricane. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, what the hell is going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> right? It, yeah. And, we're literally looking at, I was telling my dad this. I'm like, 
we could have the same fucking election that we had in 2020. Yeah. You could have Trump versus Biden again at this point. Yep. And it's like, does anybody want that? I mean, and now they're four years older. It's like. Yeah. And you know what? It, even further, you know, we talk about January 6th. You know, really, January 6th was not necessarily the day that we need to worry about. It's the next January 6th. That's the one, right? Well, January 26, 2025 is the one that we really, that's the day we need to keep yeah. our eye on because then we'll figure out whether or not what, what just happened a few years ago, is that the precedent now? You know, and that's, that's the day that we really need to really focus on. You know, I noticed that there's some issues where, right. So I guess I would say I noticed the escalation and then the terms getting thrown out there. So, you know, you had what happened in the Tennessee Senate. Where you had three members expelled. Yeah. Two, well, two members were expelled. Well, two. Three I'm sorry. Three, yeah, were. three were put on trial. Yeah. So, you know, I'm hearing some of those guys and they're calling it an, an insurrection. An insurrection. <laughs> an insurrection because he came on the floor with a bullhorn. It was three people. Yep. Now, I'm willing to, you know, take an impartial view. He should be reprimanded because he did stop the function of government in that state Senate. Sure. Um, but you censure the guy or something like that or take away there's, a committee assignment or something like there's that. There's a hundred other ways and things that you him. could have done. Yeah. And then call it an insurrection yeah. when you've been crying about, you know, Democrats using the word insurrection about January 6th. I just see this like tit for tat bullshit that's going on. And, you know, I yeah. wonder even with, with Trump, right. They impeached Trump twice. They're trying like hell to find something with Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, it doesn't go anywhere ever. Um, again and again and again. And it's just like, well, it's funny with that too, because like the polls are just like, nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit about his laptop. Yeah. You um, know? Yeah. You know, it goes back to what you were saying though. And, and I think it's by design. You know, it, it's the, if you say a word over and over and over and over and over and over again, you keep saying it, it loses its meaning, right? And, and, and it's the same idea. You want to just keep throwing the word insurrection out there again and again. And eventually it will lose its meaning. It loses its power. It's, you know, it's, it's the same kind of, um, outcome when, when it look, um, you, when every, when everybody is called a racist then the term loses its meaning. It loses its power. And, and you know, it almost kind of, in a way, uh, allows it to to fester even more, you know? And I think it's by design for sure, man. Like, you know, you, you everything an insurrection, and then nothing's an insurrection. Right. I agree. Because it becomes, it's like you're saying, if everyone's a racist, you start seeing the eye rolling when you hear the word yeah. racism, right? You when know. there is legitimate racist right. things you happening. Right. say, well, this is... <laughs> This is a part of the system where racism's baked into it or something. You see a guy roll his eyes. Yeah. Oh, this again, you know, but it's going to be the same thing. And, um, yeah. and I think you're right. I think that's by design. See, I, I think Republicans are really good at painting themselves as like the animal in the corner getting attacked. Yes. Right. And the Democrats are horrible. I mean, let's face it. Like they can't, they can't figure out a way to beat a bunch of guys. This like this. You They're know so I mean? spineless. They're well, so spineless. They get like, they get attacked by Republicans and then it's like they're sensitive about it, right? They yeah. fall into this trap with it. And especially with Trump, like even the media was like that too. Uh, that was yeah. more of the issue. Like he would just, he would just attack them and they would take it personal. And But then give them more airtime, well, you yeah. know, and, and just keep playing it over and over again. You know, like it's... Man, the Democrats are still somehow, and there are a few that aren't. There are a few that are ready to fight. Yeah. Um, but the large majority of the centrists, right, and the moderates in, in the Democratic Party are still under this idea that they can play by the gentleman's agreement rules yeah. from decades ago. And that's not the game anymore. But meanwhile, they're not being painted as gentlemen, right? I mean, they're, no. they will paint a, a centrist as, uh, some wacko liberal. Yeah. Who is some radical, yeah, you who's know, trying to turn anything, you know, that's the other word. Socialism is just thrown out there constantly. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I love, um, asking people just, just to find it, 
for me. Can you just define socialism for me? And and then we'll we'll progress in the conversation about uh, you know socialist values taking over the or the I love it with this Marxist agenda. I don't. What, all right. <laughs> yeah. Do do tell. tell. Me, yeah. <laughs> tell me, me all the uh, summarize when you read Marx ever yeah, in your life right? what he actually said and then yeah, get back yeah. to me. Teaching young kids about empathy and understanding, right, and acceptance. Of, you know, obviously that leads to das Kapital, right, and uh, the you know the proletariat overthrowing the bourgeoisie, right. You know, obviously, I mean, you know, in every elementary school, you know, and all the workers of the world are going to unite there in the playground. You know, apparently, and of course, that's that's how that's that 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 goes, right? Yeah, okay. It's it's astounding. You know, it's absolutely astounding, and it's these buzzwords that get thrown around, and again. You know, they lose their meaning after a while, and anybody who doesn't agree with you is either this or that, and then there's your your umbrella blanket term to right. throw on people. Right. You know, the tribalism yeah. over, you know, and it's not even just before Trump, I mean, or just with Trump. I mean, the tribalism has been going back to the 90s for sure. I mean, you oh, can yeah. look back at, you know, the Clinton impeachment, you know, Newt Gingrich and all that. That was crazy tribalism right there. And and even before that with with Bork, you know, in yeah. the early early, you know, to mid 80s. I mean, you know, getting borked is now a term that yeah. I teach in AP Gov. I mean, it's a legitimate term. <laughs> My yeah. kids have to learn what does it mean to get borked, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Definitely goes back to the 90s cuz it was one of those things where you know, you'd see this happen and then, you know, you saw the Bush years and you saw mm. some of the same things happening in the Obama years as far as the parties just really starting to drift apart. But in the 80s, when Reagan was around, at least there was these, you know, moderates that mm. kind of come together and, and, and do something. Yeah, the moderates really ran the show. You right. know, and you had your, your, your far left and your far right, but they were very small. It was a very small contingent, you know, right. and, uh, but they slowly gathered more power and rank and you go back to the Tea Party and all that. And then, you know, and I mean, really, you want to go back to the John Birch Society back in the sixties and seventies, you know, it's kind of starts back there. And it's just, you know, and I've been telling people this for a while. The Republicans were brilliant in playing the long game. Yes. They played the long game very well. I mean, Mitch McConnell, after Bork, was absolutely dead set on stacking the Supreme Court with people he approved of and uh, just to get the agenda across. And it worked. Yeah. I mean, it took 30 years to do it, but he did it. Well, and then when Obama was in, how many appointments did he stop at the lower levels? Yeah. And, uh, and Merrick Garland, right? That you know, Merrick Garland should have been on on the Supreme Court, and then you, you know, and then it, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it. We were like this: the same scenario is going to roll up again, and the, everything's going to be switched, and the Republicans are going to mash this person through. With three weeks left in the Trump presidency, Republicans just ignored the precedent that they went around on every single media outlet to present talking about, which was, in the last year, you, you can't install a Supreme Court justice, which had no backing to it. And Gorsuch goes in, you know, and, and the Democrats, I mean – Clearly, obviously, they didn't have the votes, but they also didn't have the balls. They didn't have the balls to fight. And yeah, they just, I mean, they just keep doing the same script over and over again. They're just riding the same ride and they get their asses kicked. And um, it's just insane to watch how, how spineless they have been for decades at this point. I just, you know, they're ruthless. The Republicans have just been ruthless, man. I mean, just spilling blood, literally and figuratively. I, listen, I like a seat. That's why I say that they must be the worst party because <laughs> it's really set up for them to to just they should be able to to ride this. The fact that they can't think about this, right? I mean, you had Bush, you have nine eleven. I'm not going to blame it on Bush, mm. but you have the two wars after, which obviously never really went anywhere. Um, no, tank tank the economy as well. He tanked and, the and economy. Obama's in there. Yep. The economy did rebound under him. And if you look at him and Trump, I mean, it rebounded more under Obama than it did Trump. Sure. And time-wise, time absolutely. Right. At a much quicker rate. For sure. Right. Absolutely. Right. Anything good that Biden does do, I don't see him sell it ever. Like, they don't – they can't sell themselves. I, no. Like, no. fake it. Like, Trump just – 
kept saying, like, I'm the greatest. Like, I did a great job. <laughs> and, and, and it worked. And it worked. It, to an extent, right? It worked to an extent yeah. for sure, you know, and, and, but you're right. They don't sell it. Um, they're awful just at their, whoever their, their, their marketing team is. It's just, it just awful. Like they've got to do better, man. And, and they silence the younger Congress people who yeah. can rile up people, who can get people, who can get numbers up, right? And they, they get silenced, you know, and, you know, think what you want of AOC or not, but you know she's got an ability so to get people going and get people moving. And then Nancy was just like, "No, sit down, Junior," and and yeah. and quieted her down and and you know know your place and all that type of stuff. And you know we're we're holding. On. I mean, look, you know you've got all uh, you got a ton of appointments, judicial appointments that have not been going through. Diane Feinstein's been missing in action for how many months? I mean, look, she's older. I get it, but. You, you know, you gotta, this is, this is the issue. She's, Republicans, they know how to just shove things through. And the, the, the Democrats continuously just shoot themselves in the foot. They can get these appointments done and find scenes out, you know, on sick leave. Yeah. For months. And it's, they won't do anything about it. Now she says she'll, what, appoint somebody temporarily so that they can do some votes and things. Look, you need to step down. Come on now. Yeah. It's again, they just shoot themselves in the foot again and again. Well, I call it like, you know, it's almost like this. It's like the, I know you are, but one of my defense with the Republicans, right? And then it's like, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, it, it's that. And then the Democrats like get defensive about it almost. And yeah. They're always on their heels. I laugh at a lot of this stuff with the Democrats too, because they're, they're painted as, we were talking about socialism and socialism's like this big buzzword. Hmm. And I've talked to people. I mean, I remember I was on somebody's podcast and he was like, I mean, he's a little off the wall with this stuff. And, <laughs> uh, and, you know, at some point I was just like, I, I don't even consider myself a Democrat, honestly. You know, I, I'm an independent. Um, I've been independent for years. So yeah. I'm not registered to any and, party. Uh, but since the 80s, neoliberalism won. Like we're in. A oh, yeah. neoliberalist utopia right now. Yeah. As limited government as you can get, as low a taxes as you can get with the government semi-functioning. Very yeah. different than before Reagan was in office when we were all Keynesian, right? I mean, you know, even yeah. Nixon said he was Keynesian back in the day. Yeah. Um, so we're living in that world and somehow they've spun it like that somebody's coming for them like some kind of weird socialist Nazi forces is coming in there and, you know. Yeah, the boogeyman. Yeah, yeah the, the, the socialist boogeyman that's right around the corner that's ready to steal everybody's freedoms and take all your money. And, and what scares people about, what scares powerful people, let me rephrase that, about socialism is the, is the redistribution of wealth. I mean, that's really, that's what scares the piss out of rich people. You know, who are essentially running the government. I mean, it's, let's just be honest. So I mean, that's really what it comes down to. That. Yeah. I mean, when you get to the redistrib, you know, redistribution of wealth, whether it be through taxes, whether it be through Medicaid, Medicare, whatever it is, it scares the piss out of them because, you know, they, they see that, you know, that's competition to them, right? Which is, you know, competition in monetary, uh, you know, power as far as you know, status within society. You know, socioeconomic status, all that stuff, you know, and they're going to fight a tooth and nail. And, and it, I would fight that there is socialism just for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we just like to talk about it in terms of government programs and assistance for the general population. But when we look at how things work in reality, socialism is actually skewed towards benefiting the corporations and higher income brackets, at least in this country. Uh, figure, yeah. uh, figure that big oil, big tech, big pharma, uh, defense contractors, big banks, they receive billions in, in subsidies, bailouts, tax hole, tax loopholes. All of that is funded on taxpayer dime. And then all of that really just contributes to higher stock prices for the 1%, for the richest 1% who already own like half the stock market. And pay themselves out in shares of stocks. 
So corporations just socialize losses and privatize gains. Well, should we get penalized for having a lot of money? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. My thing is, every time the economy goes south, I don't see anybody pointing fingers at Main Street. It's always Wall Street, right? Yeah. Every seven or eight years, they fuck up the economy with something, right? I mean, yep. it just drives me nuts because if they fail in the marketplace, they can stick it to the taxpayers with their losses. But, but they get to keep the money they make, and they also get huge amounts of capital funded by the taxpayers to do so. And these guys have the tax laws in their favor. I mean, it's pretty clear that the tax laws aren't really designed with an average worker in mind. It's geared for high-income investors to keep interest and dividends and capital gains, you know? It's, you know, all that fancy stuff that comes from investments is really what all of this comes down to. You can even look at a lot of the inflation, right? I mean, 53% of it's corporate gouging. They found out, right? There's Holy shit, man. But even before- Wait, Which is out of control. But I, could, I can draw a line to you and say, all right, there was a couple of things that caused that, right? Um, and one of them would be uh, the supply chains, right? Sure. Yeah, there's there was disruptions, but they're like in the name of corporate profits because they- they were actually streamlining most of these lines into one place in the world to make it better for stockholders or better for their bottom line. Again, if 20% of it or 25% of its supply chain issue, again, that's the financial industry and the corporate elite. That's where it like drives me nuts. Now we're talking about, you know, we're, we're raising interest rates and Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Who gets punished when you raise the interest rates? It, exactly. What are we doing? We're trying to cause a recession, meaning that we're taking away workers' power because we're going to cause more unemployment. So now, yep. you know, I don't have the same power to market myself out there in the economy to make more money for yep. my family. It just, you know, it just, it's like you said, I, I don't ever, I mean, I really don't think it's a Republican Democrat issue when I look at it. It's just more of a definitely it's a, no. it's a wealth issue. I read a stat that shocked me on a study they were they were trying to do a study on billionaires' influence in politics and they found it I gotta, I gotta find the study, but I think it was called Billionaires and Stealth Politics and I'll add something about it in the show notes because I have no clue the names of the people who did the study, <laughs> but they had to do the study in strange ways because most of billionaires are not like Jeff Bezos. Besides Elon Musk and a few others, they're not out there talking <laughs> about their political views, nope. right? They're very quiet, very unassuming. They just want to be like Harlan Crow. Correct. Right? They just want to be out of the limelight. There he is. He does not nope. want his name in a newspaper. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Correct. Keep it quiet and keep that money flowing. You're absolutely right. Until they get outed. Right. So what they found was billionaires obviously aren't inclined to participate in surveys or academic studies. No. So they had a study what they may or may not say publicly and how they were shaping government policies behind the scenes. Because although they rarely discussed issues like taxes publicly, their contributions were all geared towards political action committees and uh, supporting candidates of their policies, you know, like, so things such as tax cuts for the wealthy or reduced social spending. So the actions actually speak louder than, than the words they were saying. Definitely. In studying this, they found out that 40% of the donations come from the top 1% of the top 1% that goes wow. towards campaign. The top 1% of the top 1%, which wow. is how many people? 40%. Which is a very small, small group of individuals. But that's <clears throat> not including dark money or anything yeah. like that. So the government is the mechanism that's really a tool for whatever else you're right. rich. And Citizens United essentially opened the door up and made it, there you go, here's your playground, 
you know, it, 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 it's you, you all have free speech now, and your free speech is greenbacks, and uh, and go ahead and 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 flood it, you know. And I mean, I looked at some crazy number. I I don't know the number off the top of my head, but uh, 2016, when when you know Hillary went against Trump, I, I think there was a combined amount of like 16. I, I I don't remember the exact, but it was something around like 16 billion dollars spent on campaigns. Yeah, I believe it. That's- and they're, they're not pulling that out of their own pocket. Know. You know what I mean? And, and there's small money donations for sure, but let's be honest. I mean, you get in 16 billion, there's a lot of people, you know, or a small amount, like you said, 40% of that, right? It's, it's, I mean, that's just crazy. It's crazy. And, you know, you're right. It's look, you, we, we can get clouded by the Democrats versus the Republicans. It gets people riled up and there is for sure real outcomes to those battles right because the individuals that are that are in there are are making laws that are are uh you know affecting our lives for sure Mm -hmm. you know and there's a lot of smoke to look through before you look at the actual weapons right that are firing them um but yeah i mean you're right i mean it's what it comes down to is people in power and when i say power i don't mean people in congress i mean people in power the ones who are bankrolling those individuals they want they're gonna do everything they want you know, or, or do everything they can to save their money. And it goes back to like the 33, uh, the 33 coup. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he said, um, I'll spend half of my fortune to save the other half. You know, and I, look, I got to be honest. If I was in that position, maybe I'd do the same thing. You know, it's I get it. Like, I understand. But we have got to be able to realize that as well, you know, to spend half your fortune to keep the other half. And that means you're going to spend half your fortune to make sure that you can make as much money as you can and keep right. the power that you've got because you're in a comfortable spot. You right. know, and that's why the American experiment is called the American experiment is because it was unheard of for a leader to voluntarily give up their power to somebody else and walk a home. Yeah. That's just when people in Europe were like, well, we're like what? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. You're just going to like, what? You know, and especially after. Uh, the election of 1800 with Jefferson versus Adams, you know, the newspapers, you know, it took a long, the news took a lot longer to get there. But once, you know, the election of 1800 happened and that was the precedent, you know, the first um, peaceful transition of power in United States history, which was just destroyed not too long ago. Um, but people in Europe are like, that's fake news. There's no way. Like, there's yeah. no way. There's going to be a war. Give it two weeks. Jefferson will be back to reclaim his spot in Washington you know, and, and that didn't happen. And that's, you know, that's, that's the crazy thing about this American experiment, you know, and, and we're on the verge uh, of losing it. You know, we came, I mean, look, man, that was, that was insane. The that was insane. were tested and they held this time. This time. You know what they call a, a failed coup, right? What's that? It's a dry run. Yeah, it's well, a dry run. That's true. I, I do worry about that because I think he tested everything constitutionally you could. Mm-hmm. And and unconstitutionally, and yeah, and just ended up throwing bricks to the windows of the Capitol. Right, there <laughs> you know? they all else failed. <laughs> Burn it down. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a guy much smarter than Donald Trump who's looking at this, and and if he could figure it out, I mean, it could it could very well happen. Yeah, so that's a lot of people are very fearful of Ron DeSantis. Is that he's similar in in a way, but probably smarter. Yeah. But um, he's doing a pretty good job of tanking his own campaign at the yeah, moment. So. He's, he's hitting some hiccups there. You took on Disney, which is not a smart move. <laughs> Whether you like Disney or not, I wouldn't want to go against them. That's, you know, they, they've been pulling the strings for a real long time, man. <laughs> they, yeah. They're part of that 1% of the 1%. Yeah. You know, that's not really one of the, you know, the groups that you want to piss off, you know? Well, so, you know, that's an interesting case, too, because if anybody's going <laughs> to save us, it's. I think it's going to be Gen Z. And I was just talking about that last night, actually. Yeah, I think it's going to be Gen Z. And that's a case where it started off where Disney didn't want any part of it. I think it was Bob Chapek in charge at that time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He didn't want any part of it. He said, we're an apolitical organization. We're not yep. going to take a stand against any of this. And they, they stepped back from the Don't Say Gay Bill. They Right. They stayed quiet on it for a while. They went hands off for sure. And then when they tried to be hands off, you know, the young people said, 
no, we're not going to work for you, which is interesting. So I did actually, I think the one I did after you, so you were the 19th, I think it was the 20th, was, was a guy who wrote a book on Gen Z and it was the, he actually made me like love Gen Z and really get into that. <laughs> uh, but he was, he was an HR guy named Anthony Onesta. And he's just going back to like how there used to be like an unwritten contract. Like you, you worked your way up through a corporation and they gave you a pension and you know, you were in the mailroom, but then you could become the president and how chasing profits kind of changed that. And, you know, he was talking about, I think you would, you Gen Xer like me. Look, man, I, I'm 82. Okay. And and people call me a millennial, but I get pissed off when I hear that. Like, yeah. I went to high school, man. I was in high school before the internet ever came around. So, so I, don't, I don't like that millennial uh, in label. Pisses yeah. me off. I don't know. I don't know where I am. His point I guess was, I'm labeled as a millennial. Yeah. His point was that me and him are Gen Z, uh, Gen X. And he was saying how, you know, we were just kind of like, nah, good enough. Like, it is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we raised ourselves and stuff like that. Yes. These guys go out with their feet. They, they, they march. They, they look at corporate missions when they go to work for somebody. And if you're not into what they're into, which is like, you know, equality and mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, shitting all over the environment or whatever. Yeah. Then they don't want to work for you. And they don't, they don't have any problems with that. And they don't have problems trashing you all over the internet either and giving you a bad name. <laughs> now, I think a lot of the corporations practice a lot of bullshit with that stuff. That's why you see stuff like when I see the Budweiser thing, that's become like a huge. huge yeah. Issue yeah. With that uh, no was reason. it Dylan. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just talking to my neighbors about that. They're very much bothered by that whole thing. Yeah, you but, know, it, Interesting group. Bud Light doesn't give a shit about trans people. <laughs> no. What they give a shit about is looking like they care about trans yes. people enough to get young people drinking their products. They, you know how many risk assessment people? They have an entire building of risk assessment, and they looked into this move way, way, way long ago, and they were like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? We're going to piss off Kid Rock and, and half those. And they, they banked on the fact that Half of them have no idea that Anheuser-Busch owns like 72 different types of beers and they're going to yeah. boycott Bud Light and go buy one of their own. Other, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. They didn't lose a dime. Like, you're absolutely right. They don't necessarily give a shit about equality or trans rights or anything like that. But they knew that they could do that, look good to Gen Z for sure. Absolutely. Right. I mean, they, they certainly chose a side of the culture war on that one. I mean, that's that's without saying. But they realized the risk assessment, right? They they looked at it, risk reward. Can we do this? Is it really going to hurt our bottom line? And they realized, nope, it's not going to hurt our bottom line. So look, let's appeal to Gen uh, to Gen Z for sure. And I'm sure you it's know? a long game issue too, right? I mean, they're oh, guaranteed. The people who are pissed off right now are probably not going to be drinking Bud Light in the next ten or twenty years, right? I mean, they're no. they're not going to be around some of them. But what they did though was on college campuses, you know, liberal college campuses all over the United States. They just found a whole bunch of new buyers, though, for sure. You know, they got a, a lot of people that are going to be like, "Fuck that, let's go drink some Bud Light," you know, and yeah. and 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 take it from there. So, you know, there's there they have whole departments and hundreds of people, you know, economists and sociologists oh, yeah. that are all looking at this shit before they made this announcement. They knew they were going to catch that. They knew it. I mean, you're not going to be able to make that that type of uh, move and and be like and be surprised, right? That that the right went fucking bonkers over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they're definitely ready for that fallout. There's no way. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. Coming. But I think the point is that Gen Z has a lot of power. That's of probably course. really scary to a lot of older people. And well, David, I can't, I can't remember his name. I, I'm not, I don't know if, if it's Hogg or Hogg. David Hogg, you know what I'm talking I think about? It's Hogg, but yeah, I think yeah. it's Hogg. The March Parkland, for Our Lives. Is that Parkland? Yes, Shoot, yes. Yeah. The 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 coordinator of the March for Our Lives. That kid, I give that kid credit, man. He, Greta Thunberg, right? These these young folks that are rolling up and just essentially saying fuck it to the whole thing, and just saying we're going to do what we got to do. And those are the voices, right? Those are the leaders. Those are the ones that are gonna that are that are gonna make some change. And they're taking on and they're using social media to take on world leaders. You know how many times did Greta Thunberg dunk on Trump, man? <laughs> Embarrassed that man. 
in front of the world on multiple occasions. You yeah. know, like it's she took down what's his face, the dude. Um, the, I know. I was. I can't think of his name. Oh, he's over in Romania now. The uh, the guy he that got they, arrested, they him right? For sex like, trafficking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. They wield a ton of power for sure, absolutely. Right. But then again, there is the the flip side to that. So. One of the first things that the Republicans tried to do after the election was they were immediately talking about raising the age of voting because they knew they lost the younger voters. So let's make the voting age 21. Well, that's one way you can do it. Montana, I don't know if you read about Montana, they just, uh, they're the first state in the United States to outright ban TikTok. That's done. Now, I don't know how you're going to enforce it, but it's on the books. Montana has banned TikTok. Arkansas with Huckabee. Is uh, Huckabee Sanders is trying to um, make uh, social media almost impossible to use by anybody under the age of 18. So they see Gen yeah. Z as a threat, yeah. for sure, which is why they're passing these bills. If they weren't passing these bills, they wouldn't take them seriously. But you see they're, they're taking them seriously. They're looking at it and going, oh, shit, these young folks, man. You know, look, yeah. the older ones, the super older, I'd say, but, you know, look, it's like – you know, the, the old school racist in the South, you got away from the die out, you know, and then they'll be replaced by the younger generation who, who have different views. And, and that scares, that scares the hell out of them, you know, which is why these bills are being put forth. They didn't care. They weren't, they didn't feel threatened. They wouldn't be banning TikTok in Montana. They wouldn't be trying to float the idea of raising the voting is 21. You know, to them, it's a real threat. They wouldn't have expelled those, those guys in the Tennessee uh, Jones and Pearson, man, young they, guys. You, yep. they made them into rock stars. Those guys are going to be rock stars. Yeah, the they, they, they are. Is not good. If if I was running like the RNC or something, I would be pissed because oh man, that backfired so bad. It it just looks terrible. No, um, and now what they did was now they put the magnifying glass on the Republicans in the state Senate, right? And now. There's like Sexton, there's the, 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 the speaker, there's a ton of stuff coming out about him and a mistress, and there's a lot of stuff that is now being leaked out that was in the good old boys club, right? That they ran for a long time, and now the walls are broken down because the whole world is looking at them, and Gen Z is rolling out and yeah. getting involved, and they, they pissed off a population you don't really want to be met. So, yeah, I agree 100%. Gen Z is going to be a game changer for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. The only thing, and you're right, that's why they're passing all these bills. It's the same reason why... You know, the Supreme Court set up the way it is, and the other courts were set up in a certain way. It's to protect the old guard. You know, the old yes. guard sees the change. They don't want to change with it. And and that's, again, that's where the, the Democrats do a disservice to themselves, because they, they, they perpetuate the same thing. They've got their old guard that they want to keep in power, and they're silencing folks like AOC. And they did everything they could in 2016 to make sure that Bernie was not... Anywhere near that presidential election, they were scared shitless of it. Yeah. And so, again, they just they shoot themselves in the foot to keep the old guard in place, you know, so that they could get a moderate like Biden. Look, I, I don't have an issue necessarily with Biden. He seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah. Um, But, you know, as you said, man, I mean, oh, shit, man, you're going to have the two oldest men to ever run for office from 2024. I think he's done a decent job. I wouldn't say it's spectacular you know he definitely yeah. bungled the pulling out of afghanistan big time and that was kind yeah. of a killer for him yeah. yeah i think that's the last time he was at like 50 something percent but i i think he's handled ukraine well yeah he's yeah that that whole scenario is insane too but just think about how much differently it would be at trump won. like ukraine would be done oh yeah ukraine right would have been rolled over and then you got they would have been done. looking at poland and all these other places yeah know, it's like getting the getting the old ussr back but well, and then you're looking at appeasement again, right? I mean, it's essentially you're you're looking at appeasement, right? With Neville Chamberlain back in in, in you know the early '40s, late '30s, with 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 Adolf Hitler. I mean, it was not saying that it's the same situation, but you know when you appease a madman with a military, I feel like we've learned this lesson before, right? When you just roll over and give them land, they're generally not satiated by it. They they need more because the bigger plan is a bigger scheme, right? You know? That's where I say like I I think he did a good job because. He's keeping us out of it as much mm. as he can. You know, we're not directly fighting with. Well, them. I, I believe that's one of the um, one of those leaks show that we do have special forces there. Now, sure I believe the number, I think the number was like fifteen. 
And, uh, and, and Britain has more, France has more than us, but it, we do have special forces like boots on the ground. At least that is what the leaks have. But I mean, I kind of suspected that anyway, like you said, I mean, yeah. like, come on, if you really didn't think they were really down there. There's a lot of special forces in places where, uh, you'll never see it on the books. I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Uh, there's a, there's actually, a ton back, in Africa. Go back to, to Smitty Butler in the twenties. You know, he wrote that book, War is yeah. a Racket, and he talks a War lot is a racket, about that, man. right? You know, like that he overthrew what Cuba for, for yes, uh, for sugar or spice or some for some. Yes, he for banks and for corporations, right. and he was like, you know, uh, he said something like, um, I think his, his favorite quote was like, like, Al Capone ran a racket in like like three counties or three states, and he's like, I ran him on three continents. Yeah. That could teach that guy more than he'll ever do. It. You know what I mean? And he did it under the guise of the United States government. You yeah. know, like Butler was. Dude, that guy was legit. He yeah. was a boss, man. Yeah. And thank God he did what he did. Yeah. You know, thank God. Going back to that coup talk again. So I'm going to end the conversation here because this goes on for a while, but it kind of breaks off into something a little different from where we started. So I want to thank you for listening to part one. Eventually, part two will be coming out in the next few weeks. But, but like I said, it's a little different than what was actually covered here. So I'm going to have Danny tell you where you can find him. And, and I really do hope you check out their podcast because him and his buddies are really good guys and they put on a great, great program. Absolutely, man. Yeah. If you guys ever uh, looking for weird history, strange tales, odd occurrences, things like that, please look us up at uh, story of podcast, wherever you are or wherever you get your podcast from. Um, you can, uh, find us on Twitter at podcast story of, and we just got an Instagram account as well. Oh, so Instagram, same thing. Yeah. At, uh, at podcast story of, we got a revolving door of hosts. Uh, we, we, we choose a topic each week, research it to the best of our ability. We are not experts, but then we, uh, we research it independently. We come back to the table. We discuss what we found to tell everybody else the story of, we got a couple of uh, awesome episodes coming up on sports scandals, time travel, Long Island serial killer, declassified government documents, um, giants, the existence of giants. We got an episode on that one coming up. All right, man. Thanks again. All right, brother. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon. Stuck.